Jesus, you are a way maker. You're the promise keeper. Even when I don't see it, even when I don't feel it, I know you are still there working. Keeping your promise. Thank you for all that you do for us. Watching over us, protecting us, keeping us safe. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. A different perspective today, running slides, and also preaching. Now, I once read that when you reach the age of 35, you only have about 500 days really left to live. Days that are really yours to act and to think and to create and to invest in whatever way you desire. Now, someone who's a decade or so over 35, that's a little bit scary to think of. But here's, here's their thinking. The average person lives to be in their 70s, which means that if you're in your mid-30s, you have 35 or 40 years to live. So how do you get 500 days? Because during that time, you have to eat, you have to work, you have to sleep, you have to travel, you have to take showers, things that just eat up time in a prescribed way, and it's not really yours to do with as you choose. And then there's a time that gets eaten up by circumstances. For example, the typical American will spend six months sitting at traffic lights, waiting for them to change. Eight months opening up junk mail, that's the stuff that comes in your mailbox. Nowadays, it's junk email trying to delete. Two years trying to call people and getting their voicemail or having a busy phone number. Three years in meeting. That actually seems a little bit low to me. And, and five years waiting in line. So when you subtract all of that stuff out of your life, you really only have about the equivalent of 500 days left to choose from. 500 days to really invest in a way that allows you to pursue your dreams or to make a difference in this life. Not that much, is it? And those days go by oh so quickly. They can be lost so fast gone before you even know it. Which is why they should matter to us so much. But we often don't realize how little time we have until it's gone. It reminds me of a sociological study that I read once that where they asked 50 people over the age of 95 they were asked one question. If you could live life over again, what would you do differently? 
I mean, these were people who had a unique perspective and vantage point because they had lived nearly a century. And the question was left open-ended on purpose so that they could answer any way they wanted. What was intriguing was that three answers dominated the results. People over the age of 95 said, if I had it to do over again, I would reflect more. Number two, if I had to do it over again, I would risk more. And number three, if I had to do it over again, I would do more things that would live on after I'm dead. These ideas are that life is short. That we really don't know how much we have to spend with and, or even to begin with, and it goes by so quickly. The idea that because life is so short, that we should do everything good with it that we possibly can. As Switchfoot would say, or my shirt, life is short, live it well. Life is short, so live it well. See, these two things are at the heart of what we're going to explore today as we continue our journey through the book of James. You brought your Bibles, you can open up to James chapter 4, beginning in verse 13, but don't worry, it'll also be on the screen. But there's only five verses we're going to look at today. We're not taking a very large, large portion today. It's only five verses, but these five verses are important. I'm going to read all five of them to you, and then we're going to break each of them down and see where they get us. So John or James chapter 4. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city. Spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. Going back to verse 13 and looking at each of these individually, verse 13 said, Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. See, James begins by targeting a particular kind of person, or maybe more accurately, a particular kind of mindset. The mindset that says, here's what I'm going to do with my life. 
Here's my 5, 10, 20-year plan. I know where I'm going to travel. I know where I'm going to live. I know how, how long I'm going to spend there, the deals that I'm going to make, the steps up the corporate ladder I'm going to make, how much money I'm going to make. I know what I'm going to do. Now, if we're honest, we all think that way, don't we? We all make plans. We all dream dreams. That's just being responsible. And the Bible, in fact, encourages us to prepare for the days to come. We're told to be smart in terms of saving our money, doing the kind of work that could keep us employed, and being strategic in our dealings with others. That's not what James is after here. See, he's after a spirit, a, a, a mindset, an attitude. And it's all tied up in one little war, word. Let's look at this verse again. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city. Spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. See the word that holds all that together? It's the word will. I will do this. I will do that. I will. James says, you have no will involved in this at all. He then goes after it a little bit further in verse 14. He says, why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appear, appears for a little while and then vanishes. What James is after isn't planning. It's presumption. Presumption is, some, is just that. It's presuming upon something. To presume is to take something upon oneself without permission or authority. Another definition of presumption is an overstepping of proper bounds, the taking of something for granted. It's thinking that your future is yours to have, yours to live, yours to manage. It's not. You have no idea what tomorrow will hold, or if you'll even be given a tomorrow. No matter what we plan, no matter what we set out to accomplish, the reality is that we have no idea what the future holds. But that's not all that James is trying to remind us of. Not only do we not know what will happen tomorrow, the entire scope of our life is like a mist. Like a morning fog that vanishes almost as soon as it appears. Our lives, even the culture in which we live, is but a breath. Here today, gone tomorrow. Lasting only a second in the scope of eternity. And that's what James is wanting to expose. So it begs the question, how should we go through life then? That's where he picks up in verse 15. He says, instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live 
and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. James challenges us to see each day our very next breath, the very next beat of our heart as a gift from God and totally in his hands. What happens tomorrow is a God thing. It's not up to us. It's not about us or through us or because of us. Make plans, but do it with humility. Submit those plans to God. It's almost as if James is giving us a tool to use. No matter what we map out, make it a habit to whisper that prayer if it is the Lord's will. We'll pay off the house and move to the beach if it's the Lord's will. We'll work 10 more years and then, and then retire if it's the Lord's will. We'll put our kids in school and start saving this much for a college fund if it is the Lord's will. And if we keep that little prayer in us, close to us, on our lips, in our hearts, it will remind us to hold everything before God with an open hand and to live this life in light of the one to come. But that's not all. We'll, we'll start a new adventure because praying for what God wills is more than just words. It's not a little saying that you tack on to whatever you're saying. Well, like, God willing, after you already are thinking and planning of what you are going to do, but you say, God willing, not our plans. See, it's, it's a question. God, what is your will? What do you want me to do? See, I've got these plans. I've got these ideas. But you may want to do a little directing yourself, God. This is about saying, God, I give you full permission to call an audible whenever you want. Change the game to send in a new play. I want my life to be yours, God. Tell me what to do, and I'll do it. God willing isn't a prayer that you hope to be able to do what you want. God willing is a prayer that, that you will listen and obey whatever God wants. Which is how James ends this section in verse 17. He says, anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sin. If you live in such a way that you do not presume upon the future, if you live in such a way that you see the brevity of life, how fleeting it really is, if you live in such a way that you're constantly putting your life in God's hands, then James says you will seize this day for all the good it can, you can possibly do 
with it. God will lead you to it and into it, and he's given you this day for it. So not doing it would be insane. In fact, James ratchets it up a little bit. He says not only would it be insane not to do it, it would be a sin. See, we tend to think of sin in just terms of one category, sins of commission, the things we do. James is talking about a new category, the sins of omission, the things we don't do. Jesus told a story of three men who were given a sum of money to manage for the landowner. Two of them took their money, invested it, and doubled it for, their, for the owner. But one took it and buried it. He hadn't done anything wrong. He hadn't lost the money. He just hadn't done anything right with it. And he is the one that Jesus took to task. The story of the Good Samaritan, a man's assaulted and left to die at the side of the road and Two very religious men walk by and do nothing. They hadn't been the ones who had beaten him. They hadn't been the ones who robbed him. They just walked by and did nothing. And they were the ones Jesus condemned. The story Jesus told of how men and women will be separated at the end of time. Those who are welcomed into the kingdom were the ones who gave food to those who were hungry, drink to those who were thirsty, shelter to those in need, clothes to those who were naked, visited those in prison, and cared for those who were sick. Those who were rejected were the ones who did nothing. It's all throughout the Bible. The sin of omission. See, we're so concerned with making sure that we don't do wrong things, but James says we should be a little bit more concerned to make sure that we do the right thing. At the end of our life, it will be the things left undone that will weigh most heavily for the verdict on our lives. The truth is that there will probably be more sins of omission than sins of commission in the record book in heaven. So don't say, once I make this amount of money, once I reach this place in my career, once I have this much saved up, then I'll do the good that I know I ought to do. Then I'll get involved in that ministry. You don't know if you even have tomorrow. And you certainly won't have as many tomorrows as you think you will. So do the good that you know you should do. The good that God has asked you to do. The promptings that he sent you and do them now. Change the way you're relating to other people. Forgive that person who has wronged you. Repair that broken relationship. Visit that lonely person 
write that check, invite that friend to come to church with you, start that ministry, volunteer to serve. But there's another point. James is also wanting to remind us that only the good things done in this life will matter in the life to come. Nothing else makes it through. So make that your life's big investment, big pursuit. The years you spent pursuing that degree, climbing the corporate ladder, the house that it gave you, the car, the boats, the bank accounts, in the end, none of those things matter. Only the good that we've done. Since we don't know what tomorrow will, will hold, and this could be your very last day to live. Spend it like it's your last day. But that's the way that, but spend it the way that James has suggested. See, it's easy to fall into that mindset that if you only have so much time left, let's do all the fun things in life. But James says, if this is your last day, you wouldn't want to get all those thrill experiences you could for yourself. If you really understood, you would want to do all the good deeds that you could for others before it was too late. Because that's what you will take with you. That's what will matter when this life is over. If you only had a few hours left, and you knew that, you would want to spend them to get ready for the eternity to come. The good you did, the lives you changed, the honor that you gave God, that's what realizing that you may not have another tomorrow will do to you. Back in 2007, you may remember the the shooting that took place at Virginia Tech University. 32 students and faculty were killed. Philip Yancey was invited to speak to the school by a campus pastor. See, Yancey had written this book titled, Where is God When It Hurts? And the pastor thought that he could speak to the shock and the grief going on on campus at that time. Little did that pastor know that Yancey was only a few weeks past a car accident that had nearly taken his life. So Yancey comes to Virginia Tech and he shared with them what was racing through his mind as he faced what appeared to be a near certain death. And he told them all that mattered boiled down to four questions. Number one, who do I love? Number two, who will I miss? Number three, what have I done with my life? And number four, am I ready for what's next? You only have one moment that you can count on, and it's this one. Live like it's your last moment. 
make sure that you know what that really means. James told us in these five short verses. Let me end by reading them to you again. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city. Spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have given us this word through James. Help us to focus on the moment that we have, to not live in the future what tomorrow will hold, what the next decade will hold. Help us to live in the here and now. Help us to seek whatever your will is for our life. It's not about our will, Lord. It's about your will. Help us to follow that. Help us to ask those same four questions that Philip Yancey asked. At the end of my life, who do I love? Who will I miss? What have I done with my life? And am I ready for what's next? Help us to be ready, willing to do whatever you put in front of us, to seek your will and to live each moment as if it's our last. In Jesus' name.